everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the BizCast. I'm Shannon King. So today's episode is a little bit different than usual. Last week, CBIA hosted our 2021 Economic Summit and Outlook virtually. We had great speakers from across the state, insightful conversations, and it was all done in front of a green screen. Let me set the stage for you. Governor Ned Lamont joined us to discuss his vision for the 2021 legislative session. After he spoke to our virtual audience, CBIA President and CEO Christy Pentima asked the governor questions in real time from the crowd, covering workforce development, transportation infrastructure, and his rejection of broad-based tax hikes. You can also watch this podcast on our website at cbia.com. As always, please rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And with that, here's a conversation between Chris and Governor Lamont. Enjoy. Governor, we got a couple questions in the chat box. Um, thank you first for asking me to join the 20-person Vaccine Advisory Committee. One of the questions is, when do we think the 65 to 74-year-old age group will be able to register for the vaccine? Uh, a few weeks. I, I wish it was faster than that. And as I sort of implied, um, that's based upon the assumption we're going to continue to get 50,000 vaccines a week. Um, if that changes and... Um, Find out from Angela. Maybe it will change. We can vastly accelerate. We got the capacity to vaccinate five times as many people. So uh, give us the vaccine. We'll put it to work, and that will allow us to expand the pool of people. That's great. And I know the business community is looking to maybe be able to register at the uh, towards the end of February. So uh, exciting times, Governor. Another question. Um, obviously, the, the minority-owned community has been devastated. Uh, by COVID. And so what plans do we have to support the small black owned businesses in Connecticut as they rebuild from their losses and we rebuild Connecticut? Small businesses in general and women and minority owned businesses in particular have been slammed. Uh, They don't have um, a lot of capital uh, to weather a storm like this. We got to do everything we can to keep them going. So, um, you know, David Lehman put in put in place the, uh, you know, short term grants. We handed out $5,000 grants to 10,000 companies uh, in the last month. Uh, we've also got a bigger grants for larger companies, a little focus on the restaurant and the hospitality because they were hit so hard. Uh, you know, Chris, we couldn't provide everything to everybody, but we could provide a bridge to the um, Paycheck Protection Program, which is, uh, which John mentioned. It's a little clunky. It's out there now. Apply again. Connecticut punched way above its weight class last time. Work with your uh, local community banks, work with your um, uh, traditional lenders, get at the front of that line, because I think that's going to buy us the time uh, until the vaccines really make a difference. Thanks for that, Governor. Governor, this next question is on the minds, I'll tell you, of our business members as well. When I've reached out to folks across Connecticut, transportation and infrastructure is the one thing that people come back. And I know we, we tried before with the tolls, but everyone wants to solve transportation and infrastructure. And I guess we all have different ideas about how to go about it. We're hoping we'll get some federal dollars and maybe you could comment on that. I know you have a great relationship with the new, uh, President Biden, but what updates do we have around transportation and infrastructure and solving that? First of all, the transportation fund is going broke. Uh, you, I think you can see why people are driving less. Price of gasoline is down. So it's just one of those things that uh, Hartford hates to solve, but we have to solve it. You know, in, in the meantime, I can tell you that um, we got pretty good federal support last year and this uh, coming year. Uh, and it, Chris, it's a little ironic that we were able to uh, 
repair things at 30% less cost because we're able to do it often during the day and not at two o'clock in the morning. We're able to close down a lane because a lot less traffic. Um, maybe we've learned something about how to do this even more efficiently going forward. Uh, I think you're going to see Connecticut get an additional 200 plus million out of uh, federal support. So we're in good shape. We don't have to slow things down. We don't have to slow up uh, state of good repair. But uh, I still say shame on Connecticut. Uh, the feds are going to come up with an infrastructure bill, which is transportation, a broadband, uh, a green technology, and it's going to be 80-20 or 90-10. And we have to show we have a revenue screen that we can pay for our, uh, you know, 20% share on that. And uh, you're right. I came up with some ideas uh, last time that um, went over like a lead balloon. Um, I didn't like the other guys' ideas either, you know, which was borrow $700 million a year or take the money from the rainy day fund. Um, so weigh in. I mean, I need um, I need a problem solvers caucus who can not just complain from the sidelines, but say, um, here's how I would solve the problem. And CBA can really help me take the lead on this. And uh, if we can do this with transportation, we can do this with um, maybe pensions and other big knotty problems that have festered in this state for too long. Yeah, and I'm happy to say, Governor, you know, this is one of our top priorities for this year, a bipartisan solution to the transportation and infrastructure so that, you know, that's critical to growing our state. That's critical to us being better and stronger than before. And I'm happy to say we did sit down with your folks this past week. We're throwing things up against the wall, coming up with different solutions. And again, that public-private partnership, that's the way we're going to solve these. So uh, I appreciate you inviting us in and, and helping us uh, be, uh, be at the table, be in the room where it happens, right? The next question, a little swing here, Governor, is, um, is the nonprofits have been challenged since the Medicaid rate was bumped up. And, and we've advocated more, you're doing more with the nonprofits, right? Maybe doing some more state services and utilizing the nonprofits. How do you envision supporting the nonprofits as we rebuild Connecticut? Well, in the um, near term, um, with, with the federal support, we got the nonprofits an additional $100 million because um, they weren't telecommuting. They were taking care of folks on the front line. They were taking care of people with intellectual disabilities. Uh, they um, they couldn't dial it in. And for that, they were extraordinary partners for us. Um, you know, now with the vaccine rollout, we're working closely again with the not-for-profit community. Uh, and we're going to be able to provide additional funding out of the CARES um, Act funding uh, to keep our not-for-profits going. So this is this is our bridge over the course of the next, uh, you know, six, 12 months. Um, to be blunt, um, I fuss less about the amount of money I get from the feds and more about uh, phase it in over a period of time. Don't make us spend it all by December 31st. Uh, give us some flexibility. I can make that money go to work in a much more significant way. But anyway, like the business community, the not-for-profits have been amazing partners for us. And they're going to play a bigger, not a smaller role in state government as we go forward, because I have a heck of a lot of people retiring. So I got to figure out the most efficient way to deliver services. And we've heard from the business community, Governor, that they really want to help the nonprofits as well and the minority owned businesses. And so we're going to work really hard at CBIA to try to connect those businesses who want to do something great for their community and always are invested with those nonprofits. So we'll, we'll work hard at that as well, Governor. Governor, the next question goes back to the Workforce Council and Workforce Development, and it's about it's around funding, right? The Governor's Workforce Council came up with a 50-page plan, very thorough, incredible ideas in there around uh, reforming the education system, uh, 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 programs that will root 
people who come to Connecticut in their cities so they stay in Connecticut. Um, how do we fund that? How do we fund the Workforce Council Plan or the priorities around workforce development this year? Well, this year, I'm feeling pretty confident. We got um, $400 million uh, from the feds for K through 12. So a lot of those uh, high school programs, you start getting your certificates, save you some time, hit the ground running upon graduation. And we're going to get probably $200, $250 million uh, for colleges and universities. Um, uh, tell the legislators, I know they're coming on next, hey, we'll help you spend that money. The feds are pretty directive about how that money is to be spent. So it's not like I have total um, free reign there, but I do have the capacity to direct some of that money to workforce development. And I've said before, uh, Chris, uh, my priority is looking at those uh, certificate programs, expanding, thinking a little bit more broadly about how we reform our community colleges. You know, it breaks my heart. You know, 80% of the people starting community college don't graduate. So how can I come up with a curriculum that makes sense? So it's not a matter of all new money, but it's a matter of reform. And this is the year to do it. And uh, we're going to be able to put significant resources, COVID-related resources behind this because we're transforming our workforce. Career Pathways, Governor, is a huge opportunity for us in Connecticut. And our affiliate, ReadyCT, works really closely with a lot of the school systems, especially in Hartford, to develop those career pathways. As you said, you know, not everyone's destined for college. I believe it's about a third of our 30,000 high school graduates each year don't go to the military and don't go on to college. That's a huge opportunity to fill these job opportunities that we have in manufacturing, financial services, computer services. So, uh, you know, kudos to you again for creating the Governor's Workforce Council. I think we can get the funds that we need to. Um, I know the manufacturing community has called for a refunding of the Manufacturing Innovation Fund which partially funds incumbent worker training, again, as well as the apprentice program. Um, any thoughts around that? You think that those are programs we can continue to fund and should continue to fund in Connecticut? I do. I do. Um, another one that I like and we're working on is um, uh, give your businesses a tax credit if they uh, forgive a student loan. They hire somebody from Connecticut, they stay on for three or five years, uh, we'll credit you so that um, you have an incentive to hire we can get rid of a lot of this uh, student uh, debt out there right now. I think those other programs make a lot of sense. Look, we've created and carry. We've got this um, workforce uh, group. It's a freestanding group. We've never had that before. They're uh, domiciled over at DECD right now. And we're going to uh, expand that. But it doesn't work for government to do this by ourselves. If you just have some government guy, you know, saying this is what you need, that never works. But we're going to follow your lead on this, Chris. That's great, Governor. And as you know, I spent the last 18 years in manufacturing. The creation of the chief manufacturing officer position that Colin Cooper fills, working with David Lehman at DECD, Governor, that has been a home run. Again, a poster child for what public-private partnership can do. And there's a question from the manufacturing community about all the monies they've spent on personal protective equipment and you know organizing their facilities to be COVID safe. And this really goes beyond manufacturers. Um, any thoughts about what we can do to help folks with the expenses they've incurred, whether it's been PPE or COVID workplace um, compliance? I know one of our legislative priorities this year um, is maybe the unintended consequence of expanding the sales and use tax. Uh, if you buy personal protective equipment, you get taxed on it. You also get taxed on training as well. And maybe, you know, we all didn't know COVID would happen when we expanded the sales and use tax. And obviously that kind of disencourages folks from acquiring PPE. So any thoughts you have on helping the business community with all the expenses they've incurred? 
So we have a stockpile, and the feds actually have a stockpile now. It, it is the private sector's uh, role to provide for themselves. We're going to make sure that uh, nobody uh, gets left off. Um, that's fact number one. But I think the most important thing I could have done for manufacturing is keep them open. Uh, what I've got a lot of capacity on is testing um, and make that available so your folks can get tested on the way into the factory floor. We're rolling out the vaccines very soon. And yeah, the idea of, um, you know, no tax on PPE, it's, um, that, that's an easy one. Make it just a little bit easier for people. And it has a very small fiscal note, Governor. And again, we'll, we'll work with your team to, uh, and that's the key, right? We, we need fiscal stability here in Connecticut. Governor, the next one comes from um, the, the cities and towns. And it, it asks, is there a way that the towns and cities can work with the state to be a training ground for the unemployed? And their salaries may be underwritten by the state until positions open up with the community. There's been a lot of talk about people being displaced in some industries. Maybe it's the hospitality and leisure industries Yet we have these job openings at Electric Bow and in our biopharma communities. And it's an interesting dynamic in Connecticut right now. We have some folks who are having record years and can't find the, the, job, the people to fill the jobs. And obviously we have other areas where we have record unemployment. Any thoughts about how maybe we could utilize our, our towns and any thoughts around retraining? Yeah, I mean, that gets to our workforce development, Chris. But more broadly, what we did during the summer, we had a lot of kids who hadn't been in school for months at that point is we did put in place uh, in, in funding for our municipalities so they had a summer outdoor work programs like the Civilian Conservation Corps, just to get people back in the game. Uh, in the last uh, you know few months, we've created um, a program for a lot of the um, kids coming back or kids who weren't in school at that point so they could um, help us out. They could help us out in vaccination and frontline um, you know, support we needed there. We had hundreds of college kids, Chris, come back and help out in the classroom. Uh, you know, we had a number of teachers that I, I can Zoom teach, but I can't go in for one reason or another. I did not want that to be a reason the school had to close down. I wanted that to be a reason that a 22-year-old who may develop a love of education can, uh, can come in and help manage that classroom a little bit. I think those were some of the things that, um, you know, President Biden liked about Miguel Cordona, that he was very entrepreneurial about how we could keep our schools open and going forward. So the bottom line is, um, uh, again, out of our CARES Act money, we've got the capacity to work with our municipalities, to come up with programs. They've got to be COVID-like related. But for a lot of kids, young people who have been you know, off the battlefield for a long time, this gives us a chance to keep them busy and something productive, and we can pay them a little bit to do it. Hey, and Governor, let me use this opportunity to give a pitch to Kelly Marie Valeris, who you put into the Office of Workforce Strategy. Again, uh, Kelly worked with me in manufacturing, just like Colin did for many years. I think we're taking over uh, the government, it seems like. Um, but th that, that group has launched the 180 Skills Program. Uh, if folks don't know about it, check it out. It's on the governor's website. Um, it's all about retraining some of those folks who have been displaced to maybe get an opportunity to get into manufacturing or other areas where we have uh, we, we have the need, Governor, either now or we know we're going to have them soon. So um, a great job, again, creating that office and, and filling that position with Kelly, Governor. For um, giving her a shout out, and uh, it, it's a testament to how important we think workforce is. And if I could pull back for one second on that, Chris, um, you've mentioned uh, a number of people um, Colin, Kelly, um, David, they came from the private sector. 
Um, we have a whole different metrics here. We've always, over the last 50 years, Hartford's been a little bit of its own ecosystem. We sort of hired within folks who have been in Hartford for an awful long time. Um, um, 98% came from the public sector. Uh, look, that's great. And, and there's an incredibly important role there. But um, I also like people know how to manage. And I like people who have managed before. Um, I, I think Connecticut has done uh, pretty well on uh, related to COVID. And, and frankly, I got a guy who spent uh, 12 years at IBM, Josh Jabal, who helped oversee that. It was a management issue. It was a production issue. Um, that's what we had to do. And I, I think that's a group of people that are helping our state to uh, find new ways to deliver services more efficiently at less cost. And all those folks covered that you mentioned have just, uh, in my mind, been a home run. And it's not private sector is better than public sector. It's that diversity, right? It's bringing in different people with different perspectives. Private sector folks like myself coming into CBIA, working with folks who have been here for a long time, private sector folks coming into the governor, government, working with folks who have been in the public sector. You need the balance of both, Governor, and, and I think you've hit a home run on the staff. Paul Mound, Josh Cabal, David Lehman, all the folks we've mentioned. So uh, we really enjoy working with them, Governor, and, and they're folks who aren't idealists, right? They, they're pragmatic. They, they're willing to work towards a solution. Uh, and that's where we're seeing this home run of the public-private partnership, whether it's been the reopening committee back in the spring, the vaccine committee now, the folks who have worked on the Transfer Act. Uh, more to come, I hope, Governor. More to come. And one of the things that we all can work on, we talked a lot about transportation and infrastructure. Um, you announced the TCI partnership, and there's a question about what Massachusetts is working around the environment and climate change. Um, you mind talking a little bit about that, Governor? It does go to transportation, but it also addresses the environment a little bit. Yeah, um, TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative. Um, uh, look, it's not going to be very popular. And um, you're going to have the next round of people on saying there must be another way to do it. That, that's not very good. But um, because what it does is it says um, there'll be a, um, a fee for purchasing fuels that uh, create pollutants. And uh, that fee could be um, up to five cents. And then we'll depend whether the wholesalers pass that along at the gas pump or eat some of that. Um, but let's face it, it's not very popular, but I, I think it's necessary. Uh, I think uh, I wanted to do it with my fellow governors. I, I don't want to do anything that puts Connecticut at a, a competitive disadvantage. So I did that with Charlie. I did that with Gina. Gina, before she goes down to a uh, Commerce, by the way, uh, Gina Raimondo from Rhode Island. So um, we have another good friend uh, there. So A, it will slowly um, move people towards um, electric vehicles and uh, less pollutants there. B, it generates about 80 or 90 million bucks for us. So that helps our, our fledgling uh, transportation fund uh, going forward. And uh, we did pretty well on our electric grid. It is... Um, it will be 90% carbon free within the next few years. Our greatest source of pollutants is um, transportation related. And anything we can do to um, begin to make a difference there is important. And, um, and again, this is a, a black and brown community that often live along these transportation corridors. They're the ones who are uh, generally most hit with those comorbidities. And I saw that reflected in, as I looked at the uh, COVID numbers over the last year. So. It's related to public health, that's related to the environment, and hopefully it's related to speeding up transportation and keeping Connecticut more competitive. Yeah, we're committed to working with your office, Governor, to learn more about it, see how we can fit it in Connecticut to solve 
a couple things, right? Transportation as well as the climate issues that we've got right now. Governor, looking a little bit beyond this year, I know we're all focused on fiscal year 21 and how we're going to get through it. And, and we've had some good news uh, with the recent projections, but just looking slightly beyond this year, um, there's an opportunity that we have with potentially a record number of state employees being eligible for retirement. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the work that BCG is doing. Um, I know we at CBI have done some studies and it, and it looks like it, it could be a potentially a 350 to $400 million cost reduction uh, around the state government. But more importantly, it's an opportunity to potentially bring in technology to make the state services more efficient. And we saw that back in, I believe it was April, when the DOL was trying to process a record number of unemployment claims with a 40-year-old, I believe with a Cobalt sister governor, I'm not too sure, uh, you know technology better than I do. And, and you went in there and Josh went in there and you upgraded the system and you changed that system. And bam, we were processing unemployment claims in a week or two. I mean, that, it, that doesn't speak volume to what technology can do to government services and many services. And with those employees potentially retiring in the next year or two, having the technology to still have those uh, state services be as efficient, if not more efficient than they are today. You mind talking about um, the state employee retirement and what we're doing to kind of look at that? Yeah, we've got a plan for that. Um, um, the legislature back in their last budget said, hire an outside group to help you evaluate that. Um, I, I think it made really good sense. That's what we're doing. But I knew coming into the government that um, it's a technological backwater. Uh, I think you guys all know that too, don't you? Um, you know, governors don't like to necessarily invest in technology. Uh, it's going to make their successor look really good, but you're not necessarily going to see the benefits of it in the near term. And um, sometimes labor doesn't like it. So they think it's all about displacing labor. I, I think it's about getting the very best value uh, for the um, taxpayer and the customer. And I, we got to start thinking about each and every one of the people we provide service to as a customer. Yeah, the Department of Labor, all of a sudden, um, the number of claims are up by tenfold. And we got this old cobalt system and we were about to get, get on that very soon. Um, so we had to jerry-rig some things. It's not like you get an Apple download and a quick upgrade. These are all um, you know, uh, hardwired systems. But uh, that said, um, again, referring back to Josh and the 12 years at IBM, you know, his predecessors were... Um, you know, mayors and state senators at Department of Administration. I got a guy who was 12 years at IBM. And um, A, it's a question of how departments can work more efficiently. You see that at DMV, getting those lines cut way down. Uh, it's also a matter of working broadly across these different silos. And technology can bring people together. Right now, during COVID, um, we had to get everybody together in the emergency operation room and then via Zoom. And then you sort of say, well, why do they all have to get together? And, and you're just reminded that Department of Public Health and Department of Corrections had to talk all the time because of the nature of the COVID spread in a congregate facility. So those are the type of investments we're making that I think are going to allow us to provide a lot better service um, and repurpose uh, people who no longer have to do a lot of manual work right now. It's going to take a little bit of time to do it, uh, but we're already showing real progress. We've consolidated personnel, so they're, rather than have every department doing their own personnel, we have a better window on that. We've consolidated or consolidating um, technology, so it's not every single department doing their own thing. And uh, 
we now have an Amazon purchasing platform, and that's across all of state government. And that's helpful in terms of giving us a little bit of economies of scale and lowering the price. Uh, but uh, just as importantly, letting us know why they use five times more staples in one department uh, than another department. It gives us some insight into what's going on in terms of purchasing. And uh, to be blunt, um, I'd like to open that up to municipalities. I think we could save them a lot of money. And I'd like to broaden that, working with Charlie and Gina and uh, Andrew Cuomo, see how we as a region can purchase in bulk and get real savings for our taxpayers. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity, Governor, and it's not a layoff opportunity, right? It's employees who are retiring and we're backfilling them with more efficient technology. Regionalization, as you mentioned, is a huge opportunity. I happen to live in Durham. We have a regional school system. We try to do more with the regional government and it does lower costs, Governor. Governor, there's a question around taxes, and I know our members are are worried about this. I think all Connecticut residents are worried about it, right? We still have the, the budget deficits in the out years. Um, and some lawmakers have pushed for tax hikes. And, and I'll tell you, my response to that has been, Connecticut is the poster child for why massive tax hikes have not worked, right? We had massive tax hikes over the last decade, if not two decades. And as a result, we had this mess that you came into, right? We had still had a budget deficit issue. We had companies leave the state. We had the jobs leave with those companies. We had the people leave with those jobs. And massive tax hikes just don't work in Connecticut. And this is all about reimagining, or as you said in your uh, opening, your state of the state, um, what was it? It was changing the narrative, Governor, right? Changing the narrative and not learning from history, but not repeating it. How about some comments around tax hikes? How do you feel about that? I've been pretty clear. Uh, I have no interest in, in broad-based tax increases. Uh, every governor, Republican or Democrat since, including Lowell Weicker, has, uh, has done that and it did not solve the problem. Um, and I came in and we had a $3.7 billion deficit. Um, the good news is, um, look, there's a lot of volatility in our revenues, no question about it. How fast we come back, time will tell. Um, we do have deficits in the out years starting at July 1 uh, of over a billion dollars. I'll be blunt about it. Uh, I also tell you that um, we have one of the most robust rainy day funds in the country. Uh, that gives us a little bit of flexibility. Uh, we'll see what, if anything, the federal government's going to do in terms of, um, you know, state and local aid. Um, I don't want to depend upon that, but what it does do is buy us some time to make some of the efficiencies that, uh, you know, you and I were just talking about before. So to be blunt, I have no interest in raising taxes, no broad-based tax increases. I think I can do that. I can, I can keep faith with people in terms of the social services, keep faith with people in terms of the not-for-profits. I know the hell that people are going through uh, during this COVID pandemic. I know the fact that a lot of your small businesses are struggling every day just to keep uh, their doors open. And uh, I want to send a signal loud and clear that I hear you. That's great, Governor. We appreciate you standing up to that. Uh, you know, we still have a structural issue in Connecticut that we got to solve. And uh, you're committed, I know, Governor, to keeping your foot on the gas to solving that. Governor, the next question is around some of the concerns that folks had when people were getting sick with COVID and workers' comp liability for the business community. You did a great job, I thought, with that executive order. You limited the time frame. Businesses then had certainty, and that's all businesses ever asked for, Governor, right, is some level of certainty so they can run their businesses. Where do you stand on expanding comp-related, uh, COVID-related workers' comp claims? Very similar to what we did in the spring, Chris. Um, 
you know, there was a bill, hey, if you get COVID, it happened in the workplace, and that's going to be reflected in your uh, workers' comp claim. And at that time, let's face it, everything was on fire. Um, positivity rate was really high. Our workers were heroes coming into work. Uh, so but so I understood that the fear, and I, I, you got to keep people coming to work, but we greatly limited the scope of the claims, made sure that you would already file the claim during that very limited period of time. Now, here we are um, eight months later. Um, if I do anything at all, I think it's going to be very narrow and limited in scope. But uh, right now, I'm doing everything I can to get businesses open. And if you feel like you've got this uh, workers' comp liability hanging over your head, um, it's a lot tougher to get people to get their businesses open, people back to work. And, and I'll be blunt. I mean, I think the business community has done pretty damn well in the state. Uh, you have taken, I didn't have to mandate it. I mean, okay, we said plexiglass and not too crowded and things, but um, your, your folks understood that um, if it was a crowded restaurant or a crowded store, if uh, people weren't taking the precautions, the people were in there not wearing a mask, it was, nobody's going to go in there. So most of this has been self-correcting. And I'd like to think that when it comes to employee health and safety, you know, uh, the folks that you're representing there are putting that front and center. So that's the way they know that they can get their workers in the office the next day. Absolutely, Governor. Governor, we got a couple more minutes here. So uh, I'll throw one more question at you. Um, you know, our policy pledge is around small business relief. And we talked about maybe eliminating the tax on PPE and training to help some of the small business, among other things. It's also around workforce development. But, you know, one of the biggest things in our priorities that has been very well received by businesses and residents in Connecticut is urban renewal, right? Reviving our cities, because as our cities grow and become prosperous, Connecticut will grow and become more prosperous. Any thoughts on priorities you may have for this legislative session around urban renewal? We talked a little bit about regionalization, zoning reform. How do we get our cities to come back with the state governor? You got to be a champion for the cities. You have to be a champion for the cities, even if you're from a small town, because um, Connecticut um, will never get the next generation of millennials and growth um, in a big way unless we bring our cities back to life in a really um, a consistent way going forward. You know, that be blunt, Chris, that was part of my transportation strategy to make our cities great transportation hubs focused on transit-oriented development, affordable housing in and around those communities, and making this a place where businesses want to locate. And at the same time, what I've got to do as a governor is keep faith with my mayors. Um, one way we've done that is we've fully funded schools, actually more than fully funded schools. Uh, a, so they have great quality education, and B, give them, um, they can hold the line on spending, they can hold the line on property tax rates. We still have extraordinarily high property tax rates in our, uh, in our urban, well, across the state, but in our urban areas in particular. So I think full funding of ECS and uh, more municipal support, maybe we pay a little more uh, of the pilot programs, you know, that's the payment in lieu of taxes for those places. These are all ways that we can help hold down and reduce property taxes. These are ways that we can make investments in those communities, make sure they have good schools. Uh, it doesn't work. If um, young people don't want to move to our cities, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to make it. And um, right now, people are taking a second look at Connecticut, and they're taking a second look at our cities. 
you know, Hartford, Bridgeport, New London, Waterbury, Stanford, Stanford. Oh, my God, they're on fire there in terms of people lining up to uh, buy. Um, we got to take advantage of that. Absolutely, Governor. My analogy has been our cities are like the anchor stores at the mall, right? They attract the folks to the mall, but once they're at the mall, they do their shopping, they keep going, and that's key to us. We've got to get, and that's the landing area, as you said, for the young people, our cities. And they get rooted in the cities, then they move to the suburbs, then they move to the more rural areas, and that, that could be a home run for us in Connecticut. One last uh, question, Governor, unemployment uh, trust fund, right? It's insolvent again because of the unemployment, or will become insolvent because of the unemployment claims. That's a burden that usually falls on our businesses. Could be about a billion dollars. It was during the last recession. And we've been trying to work around some reforms there maybe. Uh, any thoughts that you have for this coming session and how we may handle the unemployment trust? I am pushing our new chairperson of appropriations, Rosa DeLauro. Um, you know, rather than, you know, at the fool around with how much you get on unemployment and a lot of those things they're doing right now because they're very popular. And I know this is more complicated, but we've all, 50 states have uh, um, these trust funds are underwater. And um, rather than turn it into a grant, turn the money we're getting, we're getting very low interest loans from the feds to, to pay, um, you know, these extraordinary unemployment claims that are coming in in terms of the volume. Uh, if you made that a grant, that would save our small business, give us some certainty. We wouldn't have to raise any rates to do that. And I would, I could use your help on that because it's not necessarily something that the politicians really focus on, and they don't get that much benefit, uh, you know, in the campaign trail for saying I turned the uh, unemployment loan into a grant. But um, I think you guys understand how important that is. And um, and I just leave you that that's important. But I really want to get people back to work. Um, you know, Chris, you and I were there um, at your plant um, talking about the shared work program, for example, uh, which is rather than paying people unemployment because, you know, um, their their restaurant or bar is closed down. I really want to um, pay employers to keep people employed. And that's what our shared work program does right now. And if you can only uh, afford to keep um that person on board 50% of the time, and you've got to choose whether to fire them or not, keep them on board 50% of the time. We have a federal program, I like federal programs, that uh, will pay the other 50% for the uh, you know foreseeable future, just so that we get the vaccines going, we get the positivity rate continues to go down, we continue, um, we see some light at the end of the tunnel, we see the end zone, whatever analogy you want to have, then those small businesses are ready to go. They don't have to start from scratch. Uh, those are my priorities to keep your businesses going, keep those small businesses afloat as the wind slowly gets back to our back again. Hey, Chris, it's great to be, be with you, John, and everybody here today. For the latest Connecticut business news, events, and resources, visit cbia.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on LinkedIn and Facebook. Call us anytime at 860-244-1900. Stay safe out there.